Welcome to Friends of Europe's Frankly Speaking podcast special on the war in Ukraine. I'm your host, Tracy Dafters, and this is episode 15, recorded on Thursday, the 9th of June, 2022. In this episode, I'm joined by our Senior Fellow for Peace, Security and Defence, Paul Taylor, and our special guest this week is Holly Ranavozanani, who is Head of Advocacy and Outreach at the Africa Europe Foundation. We discuss the implications of the war in Ukraine on the African continent and ask if the Africa-Europe partnership is ready for the testing times ahead, how the emerging geopolitical differences affect the partnership, How long have we got before the food crisis becomes an issue for African countries? And what are the Africa-Europe Foundation's priorities in this context? We then turn to Paul for an update on the dramatic destruction across eastern Ukraine depicted in the satellite images released this week and ask how long can the Ukrainian army hold out in the east of the country? Tune in now to find out what they have to say. I would like to uh, kick off with you, Holly, um, since you are a guest speaker. Um, Obviously, the conflict in uh, Ukraine is reverberating around the world. Um, And we've talked in previous episodes about the impact uh, that it is likely to have on Africa. Um, I'd like to ask you, is the Africa-Europe partnership ready for this test? Thank you very much, Tracy. Um, I think the Ukraine crisis definitely brought into light very specific issues uh, for the Africa-Europe partnerships. And there are three specific uh, topics that are definitely at stake today. First, uh, that's what we call the free F. One is about food, first, second one is about fuel, and third one is about fertilizers. And I think these issues are absolutely crucial. When we look at the food, uh, for instance, we've seen, of course, the inflation uh, being very high. Let's take just the example of Kenya, for instance, where the price of rice almost tripled uh, compared with 2020. Um, We take the, of course, look at the energy about the very high crisis and also all the discussion about the just transition that happens and how we need to get a gas. All these issues remain there. And of course, looking at the fertilizer issues are very much important within the agri-food systems. Uh, Just take the examples in terms of the price now, three times more than in 2020. So all these issues are coupled, of course, with um, the effect of a COVID-19 of economic recessions are on top of agenda for the Africa Europe relations. So we need to really look at ways um, to work better together to address these issues and to make Make sure that this is again a partnership of equal, a renewed partnership that needs, of course, to address uh, these specific issues, um, knowing on top that we have still remain uh, issues around climate change uh, and so on. So I think there are a lot of ways to work again together, but more importantly, it's about rebuilding that trust. Um, to make sure that we can have this uh, win-win partnership. And we also maintain, um, let's say, the political momentum that we get following the sixth AU-EU summit that happened uh, back in February 2022, despite, of course, this um, geopolitical crisis. So you touched on um, the geopolitical crisis. I'd like to you know, unpack that a, a bit more in depth. I mean, we saw at the UN Security Council back in March that some African countries... Uh, you know, didn't seem to condemn the attack uh, on Ukraine. In fact, they seem to actually come out and support Russia. Um, and then we saw also the visit last week of Makisal, um, who seemed to, you know, confirm uh, the the support for Russia. What what are your views on that? 
I think it's important to acknowledge the role of Russia in Africa. Of course, the importance in the supply of uh, commodities. Uh, let's take, for instance, the example of wheat. Russia alone supplies over half of the wheat imported by Tanzania, Congo, Madagascar, Sudan, or Benin. But let's look at as well at the role of Russia, for instance, um, in um, different the security bit. For instance, we had the recent coup in Mali, the prolonged conflict in Ethiopia, or Sudan's reliance on Russian wheat provide a reason for these countries to abstain or even be absent from the vote condemn Russia and the UN. And I think it's important to understand that context um, to really make sure that there are different um, issues as well at stake here. I think what is important um, is to make sure that knowing at this geopolitical differences, there are still ways and opportunities to work together. And one very important thing to mention is, of course, the follow-up of the AU-EU summit, and notably about the investment that has been announced by um, the European Commission around the global gateway. This 150 billion uh, euros investment over the next six years um, that are basically very much needed as well on the African continent on specific infrastructures and as well issues as we mentioned as well around food security around uh, of course energy that are to be uh, discussed and put on top of the table and that we need to be addressed despite these uh, political uh, geopolitical differences. So going into um, a bit more detail what, what would you say are the immediate term Mid medium term and longer term priorities for the Africa Europe Foundation within this context. I think definitely for the Africa Europe Foundation, there is a key role here in uh, monitoring uh, what happened following the different commitments that were made, of course, during the AU-EU summit, uh, working together, of course, with existing institutions and monitoring mechanism in place, and to make sure as well that working closely with the different member states, because we've seen um, the change of languages. For instance, when we mentioned food security, now it's a matter of national security. So they are within the global gateway uh, investment package. I think these issues around agri-food systems will be definitely essential. Uh, we should not forget as well about the energy. Uh, of course, when we talk about the energy transition, the steel role of gas in Africa, these are key topics, uh, of course, um, at the heart of uh, what the foundation is looking at, and especially as well the role, for instance, around clean cooking solutions. And more importantly, uh, it's of course the role of finance. We talked about this investment package, but it's also to make sure that the finance itself, uh, how that would continue uh, in terms of investment, especially looking at the context um, of um, the Ukraine crisis and what it means um, in terms of future investment on the continent. So this is something we will definitely look into. Uh, last point um, is also to make sure that within the uh, upcoming, let's say, international agenda, uh, we need to make that on top of, uh, of what is has to be discussed at the General Assembly, or more importantly, at the upcoming coming um, COP27 that will happen as well in uh, Africa, in Egypt, so that we make sure that these differences in terms of geopolitical situation, but these issues around food, fuel and fertilizer all, uh, remain at the heart of the conversation. And we need also to advocate uh, probably for um, better, uh, stronger, uh, more sustainable uh, industrialization within the continent. So there are less dependency as well um, towards um, external uh, factors. 
Thank you, Holly. We'll, we'll touch again in a moment on, particularly on the food crisis um, and uh, and the Black Sea um, grain exports um, in a moment. But I'd first like to go to Paul um, to talk about what's happening on the ground in in Ukraine. Um, we saw a lot of satellite photos issued this week uh, showing dramatic destruction across eastern Ukraine. How long can Ukrainian army hold out in the east of the country? Well, it's under extreme pressure indeed, uh, Tracy. We've had President Zelensky saying that they're losing up to 100 soldiers a day, and that's an incredible attrition rate. Um, on the other hand, we also know that the Russians uh, are suffering an incredible attrition despite their you know, intense bombardment of this region. They are also taking very big hits, and the question of how long they can stand this attrition also, uh, I think, uh, has to be considered. Um, I, it, you know, I'm not a, and don't have military experience, but I think what you can see looking at the region um, is that Russia is very keen to try and wrap up the conquest of the whole of the uh, Donetsk and Luhansk provinces uh, within a matter of weeks. And at that point, it may well be that President Putin would want to declare a unilateral halt to what he calls his special military operation, uh, declare victory and stop. Uh, stop because Russia really needs to regenerate its forces. It's, gonna, it's lost a lot of uh, 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 men, a lot of equipment. Uh, it's lost a lot of generals as well. And uh, you know it, 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 it can't really fight on without uh, a much bigger mobilization, which would be very politically very difficult and unpopular so um, there's a lot riding on, you know, on the on the idea of of winning these limited, more limited objectives within a few weeks, and then declaring a, a halt, a pause, or a halt. Um, and that, of course, would be very problematic for Ukraine and for the West, because uh, for Ukraine, the question would arise: Ukrainian forces are also exhausted. How long they can hold out depends partly on how quickly some of the promised uh, uh, material from the Western countries, particularly uh, multiple launch rocket systems that really uh, could return that Russian artillery fire uh, and, and, and go beyond uh, that uh, without, without crossing the Russian border, which has been the, the line drawn by the United States and, uh, and its allies. Um, and so th there's a bit of a race against time at the moment. It doesn't look as if much of that equipment is going to arrive uh, uh, on the front and be usable by Ukrainian forces who need to be trained on some of it um, before um, Russia may have conquered those two provinces. So in the race against time, I would guess there's a, 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 a higher chance that Russia will conquer those two provinces and then stop. Uh, and as I say, that that's a big dilemma then. Does Ukraine fight on? Um, does it then... Uh, how far will the West support it in uh, continuing to fight? Will that divide uh, the West, particularly between Central and East Europeans, who really uh, are determined that Russia must be pushed not only back, but out of Ukraine? Um, and those in Western Europe who say, well, the important thing is to get a ceasefire and to try and deal with this uh, in stages and stop the killing uh, and get the... Uh, uh, grain released and so on. So those are the issues that, 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 that are likely to come up in the coming weeks. 
Um, and uh, I think it will be a real challenge to, to Western unity uh, if the Russians achieve their objectives and stop. That's interesting um, that you mentioned the the divide, you know, possible divide between Central and Eastern um, European countries. We should explore that uh, further in, in a future podcast. Um, how should we interpret the current debate about ceasefire terms, and what would cons- constitute a victory for Ukraine, in your opinion, Paul? Well, you know that that's exactly uh, the issue I'm talking about. Is that um, you've had a, a people like Germany. Italy and uh, France uh, calling for an immediate ceasefire or, or, or a rapid ceasefire. And of course, a ceasefire tends to freeze uh, the situation and ground ba- based on you know, where, the, where, where the forces actually uh, are present. So um, the Ukrainians have said, no ceasefire, uh, we fight on, uh, we're going to push them back. At the moment, it's, uh, it's the Ukrainian forces which, which are which have been pushed back for the last several weeks. Um, and although they've been able to inflict a lot of damage on Russian forces, they're, they're also, as we know, suffering this attrition. So uh, I, I think that that, that that issue is divisive. Ultimately, I think that that, that issue has to be decided uh, by President Zelensky and his advisors in Kiev. And it would be uh, mistaken for Western countries to try to uh, uh, twist Kiev's arm one way or the other, either into into uh, fighting on with enormous sacrifice, uh, or uh, accept, you know into uh, accepting the loss of those provinces for the duration. Um, th- those are decisions which are terribly difficult, and outsiders should not be uh, uh, applying excess pressure there. Uh, but of course, there are different ways in which that pressure might be applied. The the the, the speed with which. Uh, new new equipment is delivered. Um, you know the, the possibility of holding back deliveries in order to um, uh, encourage uh, Ukraine to accept a, a ceasefire. Um, all of that is in play, and it's very divisive. And you see accusations all the time, uh, sometimes justified, sometimes uh, seeming very uh, polemical and for domestic grandstanding purposes uh, by the Ukraine's. Uh, most vocal supporters, for example, uh, uh, in Estonia, Latvia, Litvia, Lithuania, uh, and in Poland, accusing Western countries of, of not keeping their word, of not delivering what they promised, of, uh, and so on, trying to raise the pressure on them uh, to move faster and to go further. Um, and then from time to time, you get a word from Washington uh, that sort of draws a line. For example, when President Biden uh, a week or so ago said, you know, we will not going to, we're not going to supply anything that can strike into Russia. And that then people sort of realize that a line has been drawn um, that doesn't stop people necessarily shouting the odds for their domestic audiences. Um, but in reality, that sort of sets the parameters of what, uh, how far Western countries are willing to go uh, in supporting Ukraine fighting on. Um. We, 
Last week in in our podcast, we touched on the food crisis and the need to get grain out of uh, Ukraine. Obviously, um, Holly has has just mentioned it in the context of of Africa as well. Um, This Tuesday, we uh, heard that Ukraine is seeking uh, security guarantees for Black Sea grain exports. And on the same day, Russia said that it made safe two maritime corridors but still no deal. How likely is a deal between Moscow and Kiev? And will it be honoured? Terribly difficult questions. I mean, first of all, the facts are the only way to get sufficient grain out to feed hungry hungry mouths around the world is by sea. Um, The European Union has done what it can and is continuing to do uh, what it can to, to create solidarity lanes on land and on rail, but that can only handle, the EU has said, at the most about 20% um, of the 23.5 million tonnes from last year's harvest um, that is waiting uh, in storage in Ukraine to be exported. Um, That's about, you know, to give you an an order of magnitude, it's about five months supply from the world's second largest grain producer. So it's a huge amount. And of course, also the pressure is on because um, the, the, the new harvest has been planted and is already growing and it will need storage uh, when it's harvested in the autumn. And so to, uh, to, to have that storage, you've got to be able to get the, the grain that's already in storage out to market and also to prevent that grain from deteriorating uh, and from becoming uh, unconsumable. So the, the pressure is enormous. The problem is, uh, uh, you know, total mistrust. Um, Turkey is trying to negotiate and has tried to negotiate with Russia um, to open uh, sea corridors um, and is making certain offers, I think, about its, uh, the role its own Navy could play in helping to sweep mines and helping to secure uh, corridors. And that might be acceptable to Russia, even though Turkey is a member of NATO, because it's a country that has taken a more neutral mediating stance and has uh, um, not participated in Western sanctions against Russia. Russia is claiming uh, uh, that the reason for this is is Western sanctions, which, uh, you know, there's a big international debate about who's who's to blame for this. And in Western eyes, it's absolutely clear that Russia is to blame because A, it will launch this war of aggression, B, it is uh, blockading the whole of Ukraine's coastline, including the port of Odessa. Um, so you'd have to lift the blockade. The Russians say yes, but the U- Ukrainians have mined the coastline and uh, have mined the access to the port of Odessa. So the first thing is for the Ukrainians to sweep those mines away. Those mines were put there for a purpose, which was to prevent a potential Russian amphibious assault um, uh, and to make it harder for Russia to seize more territory. So do the Ukrainians, will the Ukrainians trust Russian assurances in order to sweep those mines or remove those mines? Will they need help? Have those mines stayed in place or have they drifted? Um, There have been ships that have hit mines uh, in that area of the uh, northwestern corner of the Black Sea. So um, there are Western countries which are willing to help with minesweepers, but will that be acceptable uh, to the Russians? You know, there are so many uh, variables. However, this has got top priority now for the United Nations. Uh, Secretary General Guterres is trying to broker a deal uh, and a deal that would allow 
the creation of sea corridors, and then it would have to be, you know, the, the sequence would have to be minesweeping, removing Russian sh ships uh, for, that are blockading the, uh, uh, the coastline, um, sending in then uh, civilian uh, shipping, uh, probably from neutral nations rather than Ukrainian ships, uh, to pick up uh, uh, the grain and have it escorted by um, some sort of uh, maritime escort that would uh, certainly not include uh, the main Western countries, could, could well include Turkey. I think it would make a lot of sense to include uh, the ships of, of countries that have a, a, an interest in getting that uh, grain out, such as Egypt. Uh, and it might be worth exploring either, even having an e Egyptian Navy ship go and help uh, in the escort uh, to make the point that, that these are the people who need the grain and who are being uh, denied the grain by uh, uh, the, the, the current blockade. Um, what are the chances of achieving that within the next few weeks? Well, I think it goes along with the possibility of some sort of ceasefire, but I think it's, it's separate from it. Um, but if Russia were to unilaterally stop, even if Ukraine did not necessarily accept a, cease, a, 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 a bilateral ceasefire, um, and Ukraine were to accept that it would sweep the mines or remove the mines and allow uh, access, that Russia would pull back its ships, I think it's conceivable that could happen. I think there's a, there'll be huge international pressure. However, you can't rule out that all of this is an elaborate diplomatic phony negotiation, a blame game, uh, in order to avoid the, avoid, uh, the blame for, for a growing world famine. I just have one more question on that, because we've seen reports this week that Russia's been destroying uh, a great, well, destroyed a grain depository in southern Ukraine. Um, what's the likelihood that they might continue to do that? Well, I, I, you know, those reports are, are, are not confirmed, and I, I think one has to be cautious about this. There's a huge amount of propaganda around what's going on with grain. What is clear is that Russia has uh, exported from Mariupol uh, by ship and, and shown film of some grain leaving, uh, and that grain, whether it's being exported to, to world markets or only to Russia, uh, in, in Ukrainian eyes is being stolen. So um, that's, uh, that, that's what we know has happened. Uh, there are officials, uh, Russian officials in, in occupied areas of Ukraine who, who uh, uh, say that they, they, they have begun exporting Ukrainian grain uh, from, their, uh, from the area they control. Uh, Ukrainian officials have accused Russia of stealing uh, 600,000 tons. Um, so, you know, the, 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 these things uh, are very murky. Clearly, Russia is, is holding areas, particularly around Mariupol, uh, where grain is stored, and also uh, around Kherson, uh, in, in, uh, further to the west. Um, but, um, you know, the, in the fog of war, these accusations and counter-accusations are hard to verify. Well, one thing one can say is that the bulk of the grain in Ukraine uh, is in areas still uh, controlled by the Ukrainian government and could be exported if uh, an arrangement could be reached uh, to get it out by sea from Odessa. And that's what's really in play. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Paul. 
Um, I mean, without this grain, we're heading towards a world famine. Um, Paul just uh, said it. Holly, um, I'd like to turn to you for this uh, last uh, question. How long have we got before the food crisis starts to hit the African continent? I think timing is uh, is extremely crucial here because we've seen indeed the rise in food insecurity um, across not just Africa, but more globally. Um, and I think you, you touched upon this um, uh, Paul, in what you said, uh, we've had all these uh, diplomatic missions, and indeed, Tracy, when you mentioned about um, President Sall's visit um, to Russia and also to Ukraine, really focusing on the possibility of opening um, the uh, seaports for wheat exports following the mandate of European, uh, the African Union. I think all of this um, is crucial. Uh, however, uh, when we look at the timing, uh, we see that planting season is happening right now um, in Africa. So without fertilizers, uh, for instance, uh, it's impossible uh, to do that. So I think um, we absolutely need this war uh, to cease. We need these uh, seaports to open again uh, so, so that we uh, kind of limit at least uh, the effect uh, of this uh, rising food uh, insecurity that is happening absolutely right now. Thank you to our speakers today, Paul Taylor and Holly Ranavozanani. And of course, thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in to episode 15 of this Frankly Speaking special on the war in Ukraine.